Amen. Well, we are continuing in a series that we started uh, several weeks ago, a couple of months ago at this point, uh, on the Psalms of Ascent. And we're nearing the end of that. Next week will be the last message in this series on the Psalms of Ascent. Today we're going to be in Psalm 133. And we're looking at these ancient songs that the Hebrew people sang on their way to worship at the temple. And we're making application to our very modern day life as Christians on our own journey towards Jesus and towards heaven in which he has in store for us a great reward. Today we're talking about our unity in God's community. And again, that'll be in Psalm 133. We'll read that in just a few moments together. Some of you know that I grew up in Hawaii. And the Hawaiian culture has a a number of unique and special cultural ideals. Uh, One of these is a word you might have perhaps heard, ohana. Ohana, and uh, perhaps the, the closest translation in English would be the word family. But in the Hawaiian culture, Ohana speaks to the concept not just of a family, but a larger sphere of influence that's not necessarily connected by blood. A person's Ohana may include their friends, their neighbors, or anyone else who is important in their life. And Ohana is a special connection. And the people within it are bound together by genuine compassion and support and loyalty and love for one another. And so to become a part of an Ohana or to be invited into someone's Ohana is considered a great honor. Now in today's world in which we live, we can become friends through social media with all kinds of people. Nearly everyone we meet if we'd like. But when genuine and deep friendships are becoming increasingly rare, the beauty and the value of something like Ohana becomes even more obvious. Many studies have confirmed that humans are social creatures that long for companionship and community. And within Ohana, you're never isolated or alone. We understand that by God's design, we are created to live in community. That goes all the way back to the beginning when God said it's not good for man to be alone. Well, in the church, we use a a similar word at times. We use the word community. And when we use the word community, perhaps that might bring images to your mind of friendliness, of intimacy, a shared commonness of faith or purpose or calling. Often, our experience in the church reflects a different reality. Ohana, or community, are beautiful ideals. But we know that ideals often fail because people are flawed. We're broken. We frequently fail to live up to the ideas of our culture, whether it's in Hawaii or in Oregon, here in the church, or anywhere else in the world. Well, as we come into this next Psalm of Ascent, we see a picture of community in the ancient Hebrew biblical text that we can apply to our faith journey as followers of Jesus. What is true community? How do we achieve it? Well, we get an idea from the psalmist's description of his experience in Psalm 133. And so I'd like to invite you to read this psalm with me. It's a psalm of King David. Let's read it together. 
Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, as on Aaron's beard, the oil which ran down upon the edges of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for the Lord commanded the blessing there, life forever. Amen. Amen. And so we're going to look at some truths from this text about the community of God's people. And the first truth that I want you to see is that community is a byproduct of our spiritual experience. In other words, community is what you get when you're focusing on something else. Community is really just the result of living together. And so the psalmist begins in verse 1 with this statement that almost seems too obvious to mention how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Well, yeah, David, we get that. Who doesn't believe that? But the psalm writer isn't telling us this because he thinks that we're ignorant of that fact. He's telling it because he knows that we know that it is true. This is a statement of affirmation, not information. In this affirmation, David provides us with a basic definition of community. The notion of unity comes from the phrase, the dwelling of God's people together. Brothers, family, living together in unity. And the particular stress is on that word, together. Community is a result of living together. Community is what happens when you're focusing on something else. Community is a byproduct of our life together, not an end in itself. And maybe that's why our efforts to create community so often fail. We focus on community instead of life. Or rather, we focus on our own personal experience, how we feel about community, instead of concentrating on the difficult task of living together. There's a, a wonderful book by uh, the theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, his book is called Life Together. And in the book, he, he warns us of the danger of confusing Christian community with some sort of an ideal that he says, uh, some extraordinary social experience that's not to be found anywhere. And so instead of creating true Christian community, this kind of idealism that we long for actually poisons our attempts because it's a, a construction of our own imagination. We long for something that's not really there. And it results in a model of Christian community that is based mostly on wishful thinking. God, on the other hand, has designed the Christian community to function in this world. And that means that before we can experience it, God has to kind of shatter our illusions, our longings, our wishings. And so what is Christian community? If it's not some ideal out there that we should aspire to, but an experience that we're having right now. We understand that as Christians, our life is 
a journey. We're going somewhere. We are doing that life together. And so community is this place. It is these people. Perhaps that's why David uses the metaphor of family in this verse. How beautiful it is. How good and pleasant for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's an interesting phrase for David to use. David didn't always get along with his own brothers. In fact, they thought that he was conceited and wicked. And later, David's relationship with his own sons was even worse. In fact, one of his own sons tried to kill him and take over his kingdom. Families, ohana, community, they provide us with a sense of belonging. And yet our families, at least most of the families that I know, are not like the ones that we see in Hallmark commercials. They're much more like the ones described in the Bible. Often an unruly bunch that doesn't quite seem to know how to behave at times. And so, the same is true of the church. The church is much more like our real families than we might care to admit. But that's really the essence of community, isn't it? It's not just a place where everybody knows your name. That's a statement of wishful thinking. True community, true family is the place where when you go there, they have to take you in. A family is those people from whom you can never really disassociate yourself. A family is the place where you belong and the people who like it or not belong to you. For many of us, this might come as something of a disappointment because frankly, we were hoping for something much better. And that's why it's important to notice the second statement that David makes about community here. Not only does community come as a, as a result of our spiritual experience, but secondly, community is a sacred experience. There is something unique about the community of God's people. As messy as the experience of community can be, there is something holy about gathering with God's people. The psalmist underscores this in verse 2 when he says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard as on Aaron's beard. The oil which runs down onto the edge of his robes. Now, in our culture, we don't usually pour olive oil on somebody's head. That wouldn't be a, an honorable experience. But in biblical times, it was a very common practice. In everyday life, Perfumed oil was often used for cosmetic purposes, similar to the way that we use cologne or perfume today. And then oil was especially important in religious life when the practice of anointing priests and kings signified dedication to God and to special service. But here in our text this morning, the oil that David speaks of in this verse was especially sacred especially holy, because it was used to anoint the high priest, Aaron. The oil for the high priest was not to be used for any ordinary purposes. 
nor was it ever to be duplicated. In fact, it was so sacred that anyone who copied it or used it for a common purpose was to be put to death. Now, the elements that made up this sacred anointing oil were just common elements, olive oil, some herbs, some perfume, things that would be used for everyday purposes. But when they were put together this way for that unique and holy purpose, they took on a sacred character. Well, one lesson that we can learn from this comparison is that in this common experience of community that we call the church, there is something uncommon going on. Now, on the one hand, the Christian community is, is much like any other community that we might experience in any other setting, perhaps on the job or at the gym or sharing a meal together at a restaurant or talking over the fence in your backyard. The kinds of people that we meet with and the conversations we have are not all that different from the ones that we have here at church. They sound the same. They often feel the same. And I, I suppose a case could be, could be made for arguing that our, our fellowship is too common. Certainly there, are, 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 there, there, should, there ought to be something else to talk about besides yesterday's game or, or the weather that focuses our attention when we gather together as God's people. And yet, here we are, mired in commonness, and yet brought together in an uncommon way. The Bible shows us in the person of Jesus Christ that there is a union of two natures, the divine, the holy, the sacred, and the human. The divine does not make the human less human, and the human does not detract from the divine. Jesus Christ is fully God and also fully human. A perfect balance. And in the same way, the church, the bride of Christ, within the church there is a union between the sacred and the ordinary experience of our community. Our Christian community is sacred not because we adopt some different persona when we walk through the front door of the church building, not because we act holy or put on our Sunday best or, or leave our secular experiences behind, not because we practice any rituals. Those aren't the things that make this gathering sacred. Christian community isn't sacred because we leave our everyday interests behind us when we come through the doors. The thing that makes this Christian community sacred is not even the fact that we all like each other or because we all trust one another the way Christians ought to treat each other, trust one another. The truth is that sometimes we don't. We don't treat one another the way that we ought to, the way that we're called to. And so what makes this Christian community sacred? It's not us at all. We're flawed. We're broken. What makes this gathering uncommon, holy, and sacred is God himself. 
There's an old saying, the church is a hospital, not a hall of fame. We are a gathering of broken people in the process of healing as we journey together towards that common destination. We have not yet arrived. The psalmist's point is clear. The secret to real community is not a matter of our methods or our behavior. It's a matter of God and his gracious love towards us. It is a sacred experience that we are invited into. Which leads us to the third truth about community from the psalm. And that is that community is a God-given experience. It's not one that we create. It's not one that we achieve. It comes from God. David is clear about the source of this experience. God is the only one who can enable us to live together in unity. In verse 3, David uses another analogy. He says about our unity that it is like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Now, we know that this particular song was one of the songs of ascent. We've talked about this many times. These were the songs that the worshipers sang together in their community groups as they made that journey toward Jerusalem to worship God. Where was Jerusalem located? On Mount Zion. And those pilgrims on the way to worship often traveled during the arid season when it was hot when it was dry, when travel would be difficult and wearisome. Now, Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon was far to the north, and it was known for its lushness and its morning dew, which brought life and refreshment to the mountain. And so David uses that picture. He says, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down into that arid, dry place, bringing about refreshment. The unity of God's people together as they traveled brought refreshment and health, just like Mount Hermon as they traveled on that difficult journey towards Zion. Well, the same is true of our spiritual journey. We don't always skip along the pilgrim path, do we? Sometimes the journey that we're on towards heaven is hard. And we get tired. And we get worn out. And if the journey were ours alone, it might be easier just to give up. To throw in the towel. To say, I'm done with this. So what makes the difference? The community of faith is what makes the difference. We are journeying together. And the shared journey brings us refreshment. Even during, or could we say especially during difficult times. The psalmist offers this poetic explanation in verse 3. Like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down upon the mountain. For the Lord commanded the blessing there. Life forever. He doesn't ascribe this experience to random forces. Or good feelings. Or camaraderie. 
he ascribes the experience to God himself. More specifically, he ascribes it to the shared experience of eternal life. Literally, the text says, the Lord commanded the blessing. And what is the blessing? Life forever. That is our blessing as a unique, uncommon, called out, holy people. We are journeying together. Now, since Christ has come, of course, things have changed a bit for us as opposed to those ancient Hebrew people. We're no longer on the road towards Jerusalem, towards Mount Zion. We're looking to Jesus Christ. The focal point of God's grace is not the altar in the temple in Jerusalem, but it is the cross of Christ. It is in Christ that the Father bestows the blessing of eternal life upon us. What the temple of Jerusalem only pictured, Jesus makes a reality. It's not community that's the blessing. Life forever is the blessing. And community is the byproduct. Well, here then is our problem. We sometimes reverse the order. We think that the problem is that we, we don't know how to experience community. We think that the, the secret to finding community is to, to perfect our methods if we just have the right music style or the right traditions or the right shared political leanings or the, the right way to organize ourselves, You see, our, our mistake has been to set community as the primary fo focus rather than the Lord himself. Christ is the key to finding community. And the thing that makes a group of Christians a community is the mutual bond that we share in Jesus Christ. That is really the only explanation for our life together as a people of God. We are a community not because we share the same tastes and interests and preferences outside the church building. No, we're a community because we have had a common experience of an uncommon grace. It is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross that brings us together. Once upon a time, there was a man who lived with his wife, his two small children, and his elderly parents in a tiny hut. He tried to be patient and gracious, but the, the noise and the crowded conditions wore him down. And so in desperation, he consulted the village wise man. Do you have a rooster? asked the wise man. Well, yes, the man replied. Keep the rooster in the hut with your family and come and see me next week. Well, the next week, the man returned and told the wise elder that living conditions were worse than ever with the rooster crowing and making a mess in the hut. The wise man said, do you have a cow? The man nodded somewhat fearfully. The wise elder said, take your cow into the hut as well. And then come and see me next week. And over the next several weeks, the man, on the advice of the wise elder, made room for a goat, two dogs, and his brother's children. Well, finally, he could take it no more. And in a fit of anger, he kicked out all the animals and guests, leaving only his wife, his children, and his parents. And the home suddenly seemed spacious. 
and quiet. And everyone lived happily ever after. You see, the root problem with our experience of community is that we don't value the experience of community that we have. We long for something else that's not real, that's an illusion. Like it or not, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we have already been bound together with an unbreakable cord. It's only a question of what that community will be like or how will we receive the community into which we've been placed. This is what Paul means when he commands the church in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is a given for those who have been joined into the one body by the one Spirit of the one God. Unfortunately, peace is not. That's our job. That's our job to clear out the clutter, to get rid of the rooster and the cow and the dogs and the junk that we bring into the community. Get rid of it so that we can see how good and sweet it is to dwell in unity with God's people. May we possess as followers of Jesus Christ a desire to chase after peace here in this part of God's chosen community that we call Garden Way Church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the blessing of these ancient people. Father, though they, they knew much less than we know, Father, though much less was revealed to them than has been revealed to us in your word, Father, they dutifully and faithfully followed the path you set out for them. Father, may we learn from that faithfulness as we follow the path set out for us as your children. Father, thank you for bringing unity, for making it a reality, not because of how great we are, but because of how great Jesus is. Father, may we pursue peace so that we might experience the joy of unity as the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.